0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another SACPA session this Thursday morning. Uh, During this time of social and physical distancing, SACPA believes it's important to keep engaging with the public on issues of the day. And in order to do so, we're very thankful for the continuing support we receive from the University of Lethbridge, Shaw Spotlight and the Lethbridge Herald. Today, our speaker is Ron Hendry and he'll be talking on the role of, has the, has the role of pharmacies changed due to COVID-19 virus. Ron Henry graduated with a BC, BSC pharmacy from the University of Alberta in 1979. He moved to Lethbridge after graduation where he bought a home in West Lethbridge and worked for his father-in-law, Doug Steed, at Thriftway Pharmacy. Doug struggled with poor health, and by 1985, Ron took over the management of the store. After Doug passed away in 1990, Ron bought the store, which he continues to manage with the help of two other pharmacists and a great front staff. Thank you very much, Ron, for joining us today, and we look forward to your talk.
1: Thank you. I, I'm grateful, actually, to be here, to be able to speak to you today. Um, I didn't even know that SACPA existed until I got a phone call from Doug. And uh, I guess I'm just not in the loop right now. I'm at that age that I'm not in the loop anymore. But i um, grateful for, also for Annalise, and thanks for that introduction. She's been a great help to me. I'm going to talk a little bit about pre-COVID, uh, during this crisis also, the, the during time that we're in right now, and maybe post-COVID, and just let you know what my experience has been. This is all just according to me and according to some of the experiences that our staff have had. So it's... I guess it's my opinion, um, and so I'll take responsibility for that. Hopefully, you'll, um, ex- you know, you're will you probably experiencing some of the same things that we've experienced. You're just standing on the other side of the counter, that's all. When I talk about pre-COVID, I guess I'm talking about before January twenty seventh, two 2020. Uh, at that time, there was an individual who came from Toronto who tested positive. They had, they had flown in from China into Toronto, and they tested positive for COVID. In January, it's interesting some of the information that we've been given over the course of time. Because of the nature of this virus, we don't know that much about it. Things are changing and attitudes and opinions change. But at that time, on January 7th, I remember I wrote this down. We were advised there has been no evidence to date that the illness, whatever it is caused by, is spread easily from person to person. No healthcare workers caring for patients have become ill, a positive sign. That was given by um, over over the, I think it was WHO, I think the World Health Organization. Until March, all cases were linked to recent travel uh, from a country that has substantial cases of of COVID. The first case of community transmission in Canada was confirmed in BC on March the 5th. So when I say pre-COVID, I'm talking about uh, before January 27th, before it became an issue so much in Canada. The thing that's interesting is what I noticed during December and early January we were lots of people coming into the drugstore, store, into our store, looking for masks, N95 masks and any other type of masks that we might have. Now, because of the SARS epidemic a few years ago, we kind of had a little section in the store that we put aside for emergency response. And so I had, I think I had about uh, 20 boxes of N95 masks and some other items that would be used in case of emergency. I was talking to my wife that night about what had happened, about different people coming in. She said, you know, you should order more masks. You better get some more masks into the store. The next day when I went back to the store, out of about the 20 boxes of masks, we only had two boxes left. So I called our wholesale, and they said, yes, we have masks available. I ordered 144 masks at that time. And they said that they would be in the store within about two, two business days, I think. The interesting thing is, we never received those masks. In fact, it wasn't until about May 15th that I was finally able to procure more N95 masks and surgical masks. This kind of thing, this kind of uh, episode repeated itself over and over again for the next week. Uh, One product after another, and I'll just talk to you about some of them, just just from our experience. Disinfecting sprays, Lysol wipes um, were gone, hand sanitizer. We, we were out of hand sanitizer, it seemed like in no time. Because there was no hand sanitizer, people wanted to use isopropyl alcohol, and so we were out of alcohol. Uh, H2O2 or hydrogen peroxide, they could use that. That was gone. Dettol, um, any, any type of thing that you could use. Of course, you remember the run on toilet paper and paper towels and that type of things. Hand soap, because we couldn't get anything else, people wanted to use hand soap. Body wash, liquid dish soap. Bleach. We ran out of bleach and couldn't get any more bleach. I remember thinking one day, I better go check and see about alcohol wipes. Those are those things that people use when they're giving themselves injections, diabetics especially. All the alcohol wipes were gone. I think people thought, well, I can't get other wipes, I'll use alcohol wipes. Um, Distilled water and bottled drinking water. And then some of the medications like the pain medications, Tylenol and anti-inflammatories were gone allergy medications, decongestants, those things were all gone quickly. Uh, vitamin C, some of the remedies that people would use for viruses, vitamin C, zinc, zinc lozenges, aloe vera gel, disposable gloves. We ran out of disposable gloves quickly and couldn't get those. Ensure, Lucerta, and Boost, those kind of supplements were gone. Vitalex, which is a special vitamin for eyes we ran out of. And then other things like empty spray bottles and bottles that you could uh, reconstitute things in. We couldn't get those anymore. The thing that was interesting about that is there are still many of those items that I can't get. I think I forgot to mention thermometers. A lady came in one day looking for thermometers, and we had about 24 thermometers of different types on the shelf. She bought three of them. Within two days, I had no thermometers. And even now, I can't get thermometers. Um, We can't get disposable gloves. They're still out of stock. Lysol and Dettol, that type of thing, we still can't get. That's not to uh, induce panic or anything like that. We can live without those things. It's just interesting how quickly things went within a week, that experience. Now, we had to decide as a drugstore or as a people, all of you, you experienced this too. What, is this, what was this caused by? Well, a virus. And it was interesting to find out, to me, as I researched this, that the coronavirus has been around since about 1960 or was identified Maybe it's been around longer, but it was identified in 1960. Four of these viruses are fairly common and uh, cause common cold, and and, uh, it just causes a normal cold. We get over it fairly quickly. There are two or three others, though, that have developed, um, and I'll just mention this. There are other human coronaviruses that have developed. um, They develop, infect animals, and then they can evolve and make people sick. And then they become a new human coronavirus. The three most recent examples are, as you know, SARS, COVID, MERS COVID, and the 2, 219 N COVID, or COVID 19 as we call it. Um, the thing that's interesting about this one is it's very similar to SARS. SARS and MERS both are more, have a higher mortality rate, but this COVID 19 we're experiencing has a higher rate of infection. What we had to decide and what, what affected us then was, what are we going to do as a drugstore? How do we deal with this? Um, you know, How is the COVID-19 spread? Well, you all know about that. You, we've seen it it's spread from droplets, uh, from cough and from breathing, mainly from uh, bigger droplets, so from a cough and that type of thing, it's possible that you could pick it up if you touch an object uh, that's been, that it's been spread on. And then if you touch your nose and your mouth or with your hands after you've touched that object, uh, it suggests that human-to-human transmission of COVID-19 can occur when the individual is in close contact with somebody that's symptomatic or asymptomatic, we found out. So, the thing that we had to decide is how are we going to deal with this at the drugstore? Um, how do I screen for COVID-19? What do we do? Because we're an essential service people who are coming to see us, what are we going to do about this? Uh, there's two types of screening you can do. You can do an active screening, and I think a lot of you have experienced that where you go into a business or a bank, that's where I go quite often on the way to work, stop off at the bank, and they ask me all those questions. Have you come in contact with anybody, et cetera, et cetera? Are you sick? How are you feeling today? So that's an active screen. We tried that for a little while and found that it wasn't necessary. We could use sort of a passive active screen where we have two girls at the front already at the tills that can watch people coming in. We placed information on our doors about, If you're sick, please don't come in, contact us. Here's our phone number and we'll deal with you over the phone. And it didn't become a big issue, but passive screening, we're just watching for signs of COVID-19. And then there was indication of how are we gonna prepare our pharmacy, the premises to accept people. They asked us, it's interesting, I don't know if you know this or not, but they ask us to designate a quarantine room in case somebody came to the pharmacy that had COVID-19. The space, I'll just read, the space must not be in an area of the pharmacy that has access to medications and should be equipped with alcohol-based hand sanitizer, tissues, and a lined waste paper container available in the space as well as a phone if possible. We were to we were to keep uh, alcohol-based hand, hand sanitizer available at all checkout points and and patient contact points in the pharmacy. Well, that was great, except for the fact was there wasn't any hand sanitizer to be had at that time we were able to finally procure some and we also were able to make some ourselves that we could use. Later on, I was able to get hand sanitizer. It said, I talked about the physical barriers that we were supposed to implement. One of the things, of course, we bought were those plexiglass screens that uh, you see in most businesses. So we have those at the front till and we have them at the back of the counter in the dispensary. Um, It was difficult to procure those. We had to find somebody to make those for us and it took a few days to do that. And then we also had to explain to the staff that this really, is a, it's a, something that will help, but it isn't a, a safe thing in, in the fact that it's not going to prevent it. The, the spike can still go around the plexiglass barrier, so we had to be careful of that also. So physical, then they said make physical barriers, place things in front of your counters to keep people two meters away. Um, we found that our counters are deep enough that we didn't have to do that. But we did put signs up asking people to stand back a little bit and to keep their physical distance from other patients we also talked about limiting the number of people that would come into the pharmacy we felt like we could probably handle as many as 20 to 30 people and so we watched that but we didn't have to limit the number of people that came into the pharmacy it seemed to be self-limiting then the next issue that we had was how do we clean the pharmacy and so We have to clean and disinfect the pharmacy, they said implement increased cleaning and disinfecting activities at least twice a day. And then but that wasn't enough. Potentially every hour, depending on the volume, because of the volume in most drugstores, we probably were all cleaning and disinfecting surfaces every hour. Uh, Counters, door handles, pin pads, touch screens, um, and then also any other any other equipment that we had, terminals, phones, cash registers. Finding a disinfectant was difficult, we, we, like I said, we made one, but also bleach could be used, uh, uh, 10 mils of bleach and about 990 mils of, of water is a good disinfectant. Uh, we did have some bleach, we had one bottle that we kept for ourselves. Uh, then we had to also change, you know, they talked about workflow, uh, and what kind of work services should I put into place? It said, consider accepting debit card transactions or, or credit card transactions, avoid handling money. Money hasn't, wasn't, I didn't feel it was a real big issue. For one thing, we we did have disposable gloves so the girls could wear those gloves. Now I realize a disposable glove doesn't protect you from everything because you can still touch your hands, it can still become infected, or you can still touch your face, it can still become infected. But um, we found by changing disposable gloves, we can still accept money, although money isn't a big denomination anymore. We don't, there isn't that much that's passed by. I mean, usually people use cards. The other thing, though, you had to be careful was how you deal with people instead of handing people items and talking about it. You had to point to the item and say, that's what you can use and keep maintain your social distance and stay away from them. Um, The other thing we had to do is remove all kinds of testers that we had in store, all the cosmetic testers and all the uh, perfume testers, so they weren't an item anymore. Uh, and then, of course, we were trying to maintain and keep our staff safe and keep anybody that came into the store safe by having, by asking them to maintain their six foot distance, um, to cough into their sleeve if they were doing something like that, Impl- we had to implement good hygiene practices for all the staff and, and, and make sure that they had hand sanitizer or soap and water to wash their hands with. The next condition that they talked about for us was, what if a staff member is exposed to COVID-19. What do we do in that case? Luckily, we didn't have that situation happen at our store. It did happen at another store. That meant that uh, they had to shut down the store for a little while, sanitize everything. person, of course, had to be tested. Anybody that they worked with um, should have been tested, but at that time, tests weren't being conducted that easily, so they weren't. They were just isolated to see if they had any condition that showed up if they had it. Um, Like I said, it didn't become an issue for us. and I think we're lucky that we live in Lethbridge. I think we're very lucky because of the situation that occurred at any one time, um, there weren't that many people infected and your chance of getting COVID-19 was fairly minimal. One of my friends at the hospital indicated that they felt it was one in 17,000, that's your chance of catching COVID-19 in Lethbridge. So that felt good to us. Uh, The other consideration was, do we need personal protective equipment? especially if somebody came into the store with COVID-19 and we had to take them to the quarantine room, we needed to have personal protective equipment. Um, That was a problem, excuse me, because we didn't have some of the personal protective equipment you need, and it wasn't until about May the 15th that our association was able to give us more gloves, more masks, and we never did get gowns. We do have shields that somebody gave to us, so we had that, but, but a lot of the things that we were asked to do was difficult to do questions came up about wearing masks, Um, you know, how much protection is available there. And we explained to a lot of our patients that wearing a surgical mask is a great thing, but it protects others. It doesn't necessarily protect you. If you can get an N95 mask, then that would give you some protection too. Um, The other thing I guess was some of the services we provided the pharmacy, Um, giving immunizations and medication reviews and uh, minor ailment prescribing. Some of that stuff we had to be careful with because we didn't have the personal protective equipment we needed to do. So, some of those things were put on hold, and uh, we're starting to do those again now. A lot of people were wondering about this 30 day medical medication supply that we had. And so, I'll just read to you what came to us so that we started to implement that. This came from the College of the Alberta College of Pharmacy but it came through Alberta Health Services. Why is there a 30-day limit on my prescriptions? It said drug shortages are not an issue exclusive to COVID-19 pandemic. However, the pandemic has placed additional strain on Alberta's drug supply. Worldwide manufacturing and distribution channels are experiencing disruptions, while at the same time, demands for certain medications are increasing. To ensure that Albertans have continued access to the medications they need through the pandemic, Alberta Health has recommended that pharmacists and pharmacy technicians limit dispensing of medications to a maximum of 30-day supply at a time. A similar approach has been implemented in many provinces across Canada. The Alberta College of Pharmacy supports Alberta Health's recommendations and encourages pharmacists and pharmacy technicians to modify their dispensing. That was the indication or that was the reasoning for the 30-day medication supply. Now, that has just changed as of Monday this week we can go back to a hundred day medication supply except for certain products. Um, and it, and then they gave me a list of products. I mean, you, you can't see all this, but there's about a 10 page list here of products that so we still are supposed to maintain a 30 day supply. Now, a lot of those don't pertain to the general public. A lot of those have to do with hospital products and things relating to COVID 19 intubation and stuff like that. But some of them are medications that, uh, you might be taking that we can still only supply a 30-day supply. Um, there are some indication of how do I protect the medication supply. Um, and I'm not sure if you know, but one of the things that the uh, our wholesale did to protect medication supply was they put limitations on how much we could order. Um, there were some product filters, I guess is what they called them. And so they based the product filter on our history of ordering. For instance, if we normally ordered 10 Ventolin inhalers a week, then we couldn't order any more than that. And in fact, one of the medications that did become very rare and and difficult to get was Ventolin. So if any of you need a rescue inhaler, a Ventolin medication, you'll understand this. Uh, There were times when we would dispense 10 a day and we would order and only get two or one the next day. So we we had a shortage of Ventolin. Some other pharmacies may have experienced other things, but there was a ventilator shortage for a while there. There were some other inhalers that were shorted, and there were some antibiotics. Azistomycin was considered an antibiotic antibiotic that might be used and so it was a little bit short for a while. Um, But the uh, product filter was put on by our wholesale, so I would order and only get two or one, or sometimes none there's also a thing they call allocation that would be put on by the manufacturer of the medication and that still exists sometimes even even before COVID-19 but i've had uh, situations where i've had to order something i couldn't order it from the wholesale because they said it's on allocation so then i have to call the manufacturer explain why I need it they then send it to the wholesale and the wholesale sends it to me and it can delay the whole process by five to ten days Uh, the other thing was urgent requests for medication If there wasn't a history of us ordering the medication, if somebody new came into the drugstore needing a certain medication, I could order it and it wouldn't come because we didn't have a history of ordering it. We then had to get on the phone and call the wholesale and explain to them why we needed it, and then we'd get it maybe the next day or the day after. Um, That type of thing. The filters also were placed on over-the-counter medications. Um, Tylenol, uh, any of the anti-inflammatories. Boost and Ensure were on allocation we couldn't get as much of that as we wanted uh, so there were lots of things that became an allocation only then also we there were situations where we accept dead medication back from patients and then we get rid of it, we dispose of it well we couldn't accept medication coming back because we didn't know how it and what kind of situation it was in I didn't been exposed to COVID-19 or anything at all like that so for a little while there, we weren't accepting medications back then there was also the concern that we had or that people had about uh, anti- some of the antihypertensive drugs that are being used. It's interesting, and I'll use my little cheat sheet here. Um, there are a couple of antihypertensive drugs, ACE inhibitors and ARBs, that uh, I won't go into what they are essentially, but they reduce blood pressure. It's interesting that the way they reduce blood pressure is they hook up to a little lock in the system. It's called an ACE2, and uh, they get into the system that way. Uh, that's the same way COVID-19 gets into the system. It hooks up to the ACE2 receptor and gets into the system the same way. So the concern was, um, I read this. Um, in order to infect the human body, the virus must pass through a door on the cell surface. Angiotensin converting enzyme to ACE2. The enzyme acts as a receptor for COVID-19. The virus binds to ACE2 like a key that fits into a lock and is then able to enter the cells to replicate and infect the body. Although SARS-CoV-19 or or covid has a significant impact on cells in the lungs, it is now clear that other organs are affected such as the esophagus, kidneys, and heart. The thing that's interesting though is, this receptor that SARS enters the body through is also the same receptor that these drugs work through. The blood pressure medication, and also some of the drugs you've heard of, like the ibuprofen, anti-inflammatories, work through the same medication, through the same entry into the body. So there was a consideration that um, if you were on these medications, and they have noted, some studies have indicated that, that because you're on the medication, your body produces more portals or more uh, ACE2 receptors, that you would be, you maybe could be infected by the COVID 19 um, more seriously than somebody that wasn't. Um, this is questionable. I'll tell you now this. The American College of Cardiology states at this time there is no experimental or clinical evidence to demonstrate the benefits and dangers of taking antihypertensive drugs in patients with COVID 19. The same thing occurred with the anti inflammatories, ibuprofen or the ENSAs. There's no indication that taking those would make you more susceptible to COVID-19. So um, that isn't a, that we know of right now, that is in consideration. Also, we remember the uh, the information that we got about chloroquine or hydroxychloroquine. Those are medications used for rheumatoid arthritis or lupus. Um, there were some, some people that thought perhaps that may be a medic- medication that can be beneficial to a COVID-19 patient, uh, no indication that chloroquine or hydroxychloroquine can prevent COVID-19. So uh, some of those things are, you know, our our scope of practice changed in pharmacy with this COVID-19 because they allowed us to do certain things that we weren't able to do before. We could renew medications more easily. We could renew, if we had to, narcotics. uh, you, You still had to give Indication to the doctor that you were doing it, but we could renew some medications more easily. They also put us on the front lines, indicating that we could screen for COVID-19. We could help people get tests, and we could uh, implement that process. Um, I didn't have that experience. I don't know if anybody in Lethbridge did, but maybe in other centers, that might have happened. Um, Some of the things that we have, you know, as far as post-COVID goes, some of the things, whether post-COVID ever occurs or not, I don't know if we will ever get rid of this virus necessarily we may not see the effects of it as much just like SARS and MERS those viruses are still around but they don't seem to be causing us the grief that they were COVID-19 may be the same type of thing but we did learn a few things post-COVID there we have more flexibility for patients to visit with their providers through a variety of technology and media so we can use zoom or skype like we're using right now or email the only concern is are these messages are these Ways secure? Can we make them secure? A lot of what we do or what we have done is on a one to one basis, uh, in person consultation. Uh, COVID 19 has shown us that we can do virtual consultations, and, and there may be a place for that. So, you know, that's something we've learned. We, we've learned to change and adapt quickly. Um, you know, all of a sudden we had to come up with innovative and preventative measures quickly uh, curbside or drive through service social distancing procedures, we've learned how to do that better, Uh, protocols to to manage uh, viral exposure, the use of PPE equipment, and uh, also how to provide counseling and education follow-up without a one-on-one consultation. I think drug manufacturers have indicated that they can respond more quickly than they used to be able to. I don't know if we've seen that or not, but they've all indicated that they feel like they can. Especially when there was a shortage of hydrochloroquine or chloroquine for some patients, um, two drug manufacturers indicated that they could start up and start producing that right away, which hadn't been the case in the past. If we were out of a medication in the past, it used to take months before we could get it back into supply. We've also learned that we can schedule and sanitize our workplace better, and we could also be more aware of what's happening in the workplace. Uh, I think one thing that we have seen. That's kind of a real concern. Is that we have a weakness in our medication supply, and I don't know what we're going to do, but how can we improve the security of our medication supply? I'm not sure if you know or not. You probably, some of you probably do. Um, there isn't in, in Canada and probably in the United States and a lot of other countries. We don't start from point from point zero and go to point to the end point and produce a drug. Um, We don't have that capability. Most of the raw chemicals come from China or India, and that's where we get the chemicals to produce the drug. Uh, There are some companies in Canada that will take the raw chemicals and then produce the final product, but nobody has raw chemicals or the ability to get the raw chemicals other than from other countries. So I think that's a concern, and it would be interesting to see what we've learned from that if we're able to start producing medication in Canada through the complete process. I guess the other thing too is there's a lot of talk about uh, COVID vaccination, COVID 19 vaccination. And I, I'm not sure what's going to happen. I'll just, I'll just give you a little article that I read about the other day. It said, um, is vaccine the only answer to COVID 19? Uh, what about, what, what, what if the promise of the vaccine does not deliver? Consider HIV and the common cold. The latter is caused by a different coronavirus. Despite our efforts, we do not have a vaccine for either. And vaccines can be less than 100% effective. We all realize that some years the flu shot, the common flu shot uh, is only 20 to 30% effective. Other years, it may be as high as 60 to 70% effective. Uh, The flu, the indication is the 2020 flu shot has only been 45% effective. So let's consider the following ideas. We may not be able to create a vaccine against this virus. We have yet to develop gold standard tests to detect it. So it's, it's sometimes it's difficult to detect even uh, this virus COVID-19 may not be any different than the common flu virus that we have in that it changes every year. So our ability to produce a, vi- a vaccine for it may be difficult. Um, we are not certain if someone who has recovered from the infection can get infected again. Uh, we don't know what the immunity will be like we know the virus undergoes changes in its structure as a device. If it's genetic makeup changes, it may allow easier transmission and lead to more serious illnesses. So I hope we get a chrono 19 vaccination, but I don't know if we will, but the one thing we have to look forward to as we approach post COVID is, as we, as because of the COVID-19 crisis that we've had, people will want to get the flu shot or a lot of more people will want the flu shot when it becomes available. And so as a, as a country, and as pharmacies, we need to prepare for that type of thing. Uh, I think they've suggested in Australia, they've seen a higher demand. They've been ask for three million more shots, flu shots this year than they had last year. So I think in Canada, we can look forward to the same type of thing. When and if there is a vaccine co- for COVID-19, again, pharmacy needs to be ready uh, to provide that. The last two, two things that I just have, or the last things I have or things that I guess I have learned, um, just some common things. As I've gone through this, there's a lot of things I think I've learned that I can do without I don't necessarily need. We should wash our hands more often. Uh, Working from home may be an option for many people. We may find that working from home um, is quite satisfying. Taking a sick day can save lives. The Internet can be a lifesaver or a good book can be a lifesaver for some people. It's important to know how to cook. And I think we can appreciate that uh, this has allowed us maybe to slow down, for life to slow down a little bit. Trends are very important. So thanks for listening to me. I'm grateful to give this presentation today.
0: Thank you very much for your presentation. Excellent. Um, we have quite a few questions in the queue, so I'll just jump right in. Uh, Beth Mandol has the first question. Did your pharmacy got requests to do medical procedures, usually done by M.D.s, due to the less due to the less access to clinics.
1: Um, yeah, yeah, that kind of that's sort of an ongoing thing. But yes, we did have some situations where people wanted to come in and have us diagnose and prescribe. Um, the problem I think that pharmacists face is um, we're not trained really to diagnose. We haven't had that kind of training. A lot of pharmacists have picked up things as they've gone across, uh, as they, through experience or through years of experience, but were great at choosing the right drug and continuing on with medication supply, but yes, we had a, a lot of people asking us about, coming in saying, these are my symptoms, what can you give me? And so it's that's kind of difficult. That's been really a difficult thing for physicians because they're doing a lot of things over, the, over phone or virtual, and so it's difficult to diagnose when you're just looking at a computer screen or something like that. Um, there's been a lot of injections that we give, and there's been a lot of people coming in wanting us to do some injections that we can't give, some things that usually require a radiologist to give. So, yeah, we've had some of those kind of experiences.
0: Our next question comes from Mark Goodall. Did you notice a run on hydro, hydrochloroquine? Hydro, what yes, is that?
1: Yep. <laughs> hydrochloroquine. Yeah. Yep um yes there was a little bit of a run on it we don't have that many patients that are on it and i think some other pharmacies maybe maybe have experienced more of a run on it than we did the thing that's interesting about hydrochloroquine is it usually takes about three months for it to build up in strength to give full benefit because it takes so long and because of the buildup if for some reason a person couldn't get their hydrochloroquine for a few weeks even they probably wouldn't notice much difference in how they especially if and how they feel, and especially if they could get it within, you know, two or three weeks to get back on track, they'd probably be okay. So yeah, there was a run on it. We didn't run out of it, but we came close a couple of times.
0: Our next question comes from Ian Hurdle. Hurdle, rather. Thank you for delineating the supply chain block that person at the counter doesn't understand. There are costs that average person cannot see. I would guess. Fixed operational supply costs are up 15 to 20 percent. How are your staff standing up to these changes?
1: Um, you know, it's it's kind of funny because um, whenever there's a change made in the drug supply through government through say Alberta Health Services, whenever there's something that changes, it's usually the rest of us that are put on the front lines. They're not the ones that have to answer the questions so um, if the drug becomes unavailable we're the ones that have to say oh hey this isn't available um, and, it, and then we have to spend a lot of time we you spend 15 to 20 percent of your time trying to find other sources or or other drugs that might uh, we might be able to use in place of um, so it's frustrating to me with Albert Health Services some of the things that we have to do for them because of changes that they make so I'm not sure if that answers the question, but yeah, there's there's been some increased demand and uh, it just becomes frustrating for all the staff to try and have to explain policies that somebody else is making.
0: Our next question comes from Mark Goddard. Now that we have entered stage two, have you noticed a more lax approach by your clients? Are less people coming in wearing masks, for instance?
1: Um, you know... It's interesting. I think perhaps there's been a little bit of decline, but I'm still seeing a lot of people wearing masks. They're coming into the drugstore. It's so hard here in Lethbridge because I think you know some decisions about how we deal with COVID-19 would have been made, could have been made more locally, and would have been better for the country if we could have dealt with it locally instead of regionally or interna- you know, or even internationally. Some of the things that have been done. Um, I don't know, I guess perhaps it is a little bit more lax, even perhaps we at the pharmacy are a little bit more lax because of the changes that have occurred. But we still try and are trying to maintain the physical, if we don't have a mask on, we're trying to maintain the physical distance and trying to help people do the same type of thing. Our
0: next question comes from Clint Peterson, slightly off topic. How do you feel about the prospect of having a national PharmaCare plan? And do you think COVID-19 will have an effect on whether or not it will happen?
1: Yeah, the PharmaCare plan, of course, we've heard of a little bit. I'm not sure what all the implications are of the PharmaCare plan. Right now, pharmacy is an interesting business because it's probably the only business that you can be in where the government tells you how much you can pay for a product. And how much you can sell it for. They control both both ends of it. Um, pharmacare and, and because of that, it's become very, very difficult for pharmacies to maintain profitability. I'm not sure what pharmacare will look like. Um, it'll be interesting to see if we have any input into it. Uh, any you know, they're the big the big driving force in Medicare or in, in medicine right now or in healthcare is profit. And uh, it's trying to, you know, governments are trying to maintain control of, of how much money is being spent on healthcare. And because of that, they're cutting back physicians and pharmacists and anybody else that's involved in healthcare. And I realize we all have to be responsible, but there comes a point where it's very difficult. So with pharmacare, I, I don't know if that's going to maintain medication supply for us, if it's going to uh, keep our healthcare healthier. or not. I'm not sure what'll happen there. I'm not, I'm not probably experienced enough or or in the knowledge they know enough to answer that question.
0: Laurie Schultz uh, asks, likely pre-COVID-19 question about supply chains of meds. Are you aware of what steps have been taken, if any, to limit non-Canadians obtaining medication, such as insulin, for Canada, causing shortages? Um.
1: I, yeah, I uh, I don't know. I know that the uh, Trump administration or the American administration were talking about accessing drugs for their people through can- Canadian suppliers, but I'm not sure how much that is happening. There used to be a lot of uh, drugstores that dealt with international or Americans, especially that would send medication that way and would fill prescriptions for them. That's become more and more difficult, and most of those pharmacies I think are out of business now. Um, I think the, the bigger issue that we face is that we're not, in Canada or the United States or some other countries, we're not producing from A to B the medication. We're, we, we don't have the ability to get the raw chemicals. So that's more of a concern to me than, than um, Americans accessing our medication supply right now. It hasn't been an issue that I know of in our area.
0: Henning Mundell's question, do you think eventually effective medicines will be developed to help reduce negative effects of COVID-19, especially if no effective vaccine can be developed?
1: They're doing some experimental thing on some viral medication right now. Um, There's only one that I know of. It's a medication that I don't even know much about. It's called Remdesivir, I think, or something like that. Uh, that seems to make it so that the person recovers more quickly. Instead of taking 15 days to recover, it it seems like maybe 11 days they recover more quickly. Um, I think that a virus is such a difficult thing to understand and to conquer. Uh, We haven't haven't conquered the common cold yet. There are other viral things that are happening that we haven't been able to conquer yet. So I think this COVID-19 is going to be difficult. Right now, there's probably... No substitute for just some common things that we can do: Um, washing your hands frequently, maintaining some social distance, being careful where you go, and and just being aware of what's happening around you. Um, I don't, I, you know, there may be some medications that come out, but I I don't see anything right now quickly coming out. And the vaccine itself, uh, the quickest vaccine that was produced was for. Let me think here. Trying to think. It took I took four years to develop it. I can't remember what it was for now, but anyway, it took four years to develop it. So I don't know how long it's going to take to come up with a vaccine if we ever do come up with a vaccine.
0: Uh, Mark Godel, if there was a run on hydrochloroquine, that would mean that doctors were prescribing it, presumably for COVID treatment or prevention. How do you feel about that?
1: That's a good question. Um, Usually, I think a lot of the runs on hydrochloroquine probably did occur that way. In Lethbridge, we saw I had two people that wanted some hydrochloroquine because they they felt they were compromised. Uh, They had some respiratory uh, complications, and they felt they were compromised. We did our best to talk them out of it, and I don't think we succeeded, but they went to their doctor, and he talked them out of it. And so uh, they didn't get their they didn't get a prescription for it. I don't know if that was an issue in Lethbridge or not. I know it was an issue in the states. I read about it down there, that people felt like they would try and take hydrochloroquine and prevent the the disease or it would cure the disease. I think that that's probably not an issue now, but it was an issue for a little while in there. We just didn't experience it in Lethbridge, other than the two patients that I'm talking about. In
0: Hurdle, how are the non-pharmacy employees in your store adapting?
1: They were, yeah, that was, it was difficult. And I think it is very difficult um, for people, especially when there's such a scare on it. It's a pandemic, that sounds very, very scary. And it is, and it can be serious. Uh, A lot of people, you know, 80% of the population, it didn't seem to be a big issue for them, even if they had the COVID-19 but 20% of the population it was difficult and 5% for sure it was very serious. So yeah, my front store staff, all of the girls up at the front were very concerned to begin with. It took probably the first month or so uh, and and me talking to them about different things that they could do, sanitizing the area, changing their gloves often, taking a break and washing their hands and uh, being careful watching the people that are coming in to see what it looks like. It took a while for them to calm down. Right now it doesn't seem to be such an issue. We got the plexiglass uh, uh, barriers up as soon as we could, and we also kind of put little signs on the floor to stand back, that type of thing. Uh, but yes, it was a very, it was a very big issue. Um, even for us in the pharmacy, it was a little bit of a concern for a while. But then, as we started to read more about it and see the type of people that were coming in, most people were self-isolating. I think we had some people that might have been sick, but most of our customers were self-isolating and staying home if they thought they were sick. So I, I, I was grateful for that. We had one patient, or we had two patients that went to the hospital thinking they had it, and it turned out it was negative. They were just into emergency for a little while, and then it turned out that they were negative to COVID-19.
0: Um, Laurie Schultz, what steps could Canada take to secure the ingredients to create medications and thereby become less over-dependent?
1: That's a great question. I thought somebody might answer that or ask that question. So I, um, I looked up a little article about that. It said, and I'll just read a little bit from the article. It said, Canada could be independent in the supply of pharmaceuticals to fight COVID-19 and other diseases if they were entirely produced here, rather than relying on active ingredients to be imported, according to one of the country's leading chemists. This leading chemist's name is Andre Charret. He said we have state of the art technology and expertise here to produce just about any small molecule on demand, which can then be sent to drug companies capable of formulating it for the market. He's the head of the University of Montreal chemistry department. On April eighteenth, Quebec Premier Francis Legault said the province said the province that may soon face a shortage of drugs needed to create people needed to treat people infected with the coronavirus, including including propofol, medazolam, brokerconium. Since the tricurium and fentanyl, Charay who specializes in research in organic and pharmaceutical chemistry believes that need could be filled if Quebec had full control over the development and production of prescription drugs, including those during the pandemic. Um, The same is true for Canada generally, he said. We are among the world leaders in the synthesis of small molecules, argued Charay. Who held that Canada Research Chair, who held the Canada Research Chair in Bioactive Molecular Synthesis from 2005 to 2019, and co directs Inter University Front Research Center in Green Chemistry and Catalysts? Why not take the advantage of the opportunity to apply our expertise? Um, so he says that they have the ability uh, to synthesize small molecules. And uh, I don't know if. Um, I don't know if I'll I won't read the rest of it but um, if you look up Andrew G H A R E T T E and uh, and it's a it's an article of, if you can't find it give me a call My uh, phone or call us at thriftway pharmacy and I'll tell you where the article is or where you can find it but anyway you can just google that on the internet and find out that he thinks we have the ability to do that it may be expensive that's the problem it's expensive producing drugs, and so we choose to get medication, or we choose to get raw chemicals from China and India, which, which is less expensive. So,
0: so um, follow up question is, and I think you answered it a little bit: um, Are there plant based deriva- derivatives that could be used to create ingredients? Is this an area of growth, expertise wise, jobs, etc., to boost the economy?
1: Um, yeah, I'm not sure exactly where we get all the raw chemicals or raw, raw materials from. It's something to look into for sure. Um, this fellow, Andrew Andrew Charest, says that he can produce them. He has some sort of a uh, ability to produce them, and, and it's in a small facility, so it doesn't require a large facility to do so. As far as uh, production or the uh, being able to get chemicals from plant supply, yeah, there are there may be some things that are waiting, but I think mainly we're going to have to produce them ourselves or we're going to have to make them. Okay.
0: Um, Ian Hurdle, some of us are old enough to remember polio deaths, but how do we get those who are younger to cooperate with distancing and prevention?
1: Yeah, I think it's just an education thing. We've had some pretty good luck with that right now. Um, Hopefully people can see the results of what's happening and and also see the results of what happens when you don't, um, when you're not responsible, when you don't social isolate, and you're not careful about what you're doing because there are flares that are occurring right now all over the world because we've loosened the restrictions a little bit. Um, And I think that we have to be wise at what we're doing. I think we do need to loosen restrictions somewhat, but we also need to still be wise in how we do that. Uh, and in, in, uh, maybe it's just experience. So, like you said, some of us have had that experience and some haven't. Um, too bad we can't learn from others' experience.
0: Um, Henning Humundel with SACPAR Chair leading the way in off-topic questions, sort of. Would you comment on what was on the front page of the Lethbridge Herald today? And I guess that's assuming, assuming that you've read The Left Herald today. Uh, I,
1: I haven't seen The Left Herald today. Can you bring me up to date?
0: Ah. Um, and then uh, further down the thread, he says, herald item today. Niece who oversold prescription opioids leading to the current illegal opioid crisis in Canada and will be looking into becoming named party in the lawsuit. Yeah, uh, I'd
1: Yeah, I. Yeah, I I'd have to read the article. I'm sorry, I can't comment on that.
0: Okay. Um, Cliff Peterson, Dexamethasone is now being used several places around the world to treat COVID-19. What are your thoughts on that medicine and is it being used in Canada?
1: Yeah, we use dexamethasone right now for various things. Usually it's being used for autoimmune diseases where the body, for because of some sort of a stimulus, the body ends up fighting itself. And so you want to it- try and stop that. And so uh, cortical steroid like dexamethasone is used to do that. I think there's been some good indication that's a benefit in COVID-19 because COVID-19 causes an inflammation uh, in the lungs and in other organs. And so if we can stop the body from causing that inflammation, it gives, the, it gives the body a chance to heal. So I think there's some positive things that can happen with dexamethasone. Usually it's for a short period of time. It's not going to be a long period of time that you take that. Just just a short period of time to stop the situation. Hopefully it doesn't reoccur. It's not a cure for COVID-19.
0: Uh, Laurie Schultz, can you comment on the C-19 test kits? There have been some tests that look hopeful in terms of time, et cetera, and then found to be potentially faulty.
1: Yeah, I um, I haven't had too much to do with the testing type thing. I have seen that, that uh, just like all of you that sometimes we receive tests and they they don't work properly and they get sent back. Um, so I don't know exactly on that test how it works, but I know that with testing you can get false positives and false negatives. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any simple test right now that works really easily, um, but I, I haven't had any experience with the tests either.
0: Okay. The, um, both Hans uh, or Henning Mundell and Mark Godall are uh, providing some more details on, on Henning's earlier question regarding the Lethbridge Herald. And so it looks like it's the city of Lethbridge becoming party of lawsuit against overprescribing of opioids.
1: Oh, okay. So, okay.
0: what are what, so basically? What are your thoughts about class action suits against the producers of opioids? Is what Henning is getting at?
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, I did see an article on that a while ago. Just a sec. Um The uh, the class action suits. Uh, I guess it, I guess it's one way of holding people responsible for what they're doing for certain. You know. The problem that we have with opioids right now, some of it rests with pharmaceutical companies that were, were toting that um, these painkillers work and that we should use them, and maybe not talking about some of the side effects that may occur or some of the problems that may occur. Um, and you know, when a painkiller works and you're in pain, you, typically it gets used. Uh, but they're not, you, know, you have to be careful with opioids. You have to be very careful with them because of the addiction liability and the dependence that occurs with them. And, of course, anytime there's a good product, there's always bad uses for it. So I don't know if a class action suit is a way to go. Um, it would be just nice if, if companies and people were more responsible with what they're doing.
0: Bav Mandela, is there any way to get an antibody test to see if we've had COVID-19?
1: Antibody tests exist, but I don't know if we have, I don't know if, how accurate they are, and I'm not sure if any of them, if they're available in Canada right now or not. Uh, I I can't answer that question. I know that they, for the longest time, we couldn't get antibody tests uh, in Canada, so I'm not sure if that's available. The problem with it is, is everybody's individual. We don't know how many antibodies you will produce if you've been in contact, or if you've been positive for COVID-19. And we don't know how long the antibodies hang around. Are they here for six months? Do you have antibodies for two years? So it's it's kind of difficult to anticipate or to know what kind of immunity you may have from COVID-19 if, in fact, you do have the disease. And I think there's also the, the problem with the false, positive, false, negative type thing that, that you may think you've had it, and you haven't had it.
0: Excellent. Those are all the questions that are in the queue today. Um, so I want to thank you very much and uh, for speaking with us today. And do you have any last words for us before we end the live stream?
1: Um, I probably my last words are just that uh, I have a feeling that uh, we're you know this this is going to be a problem that's going to be around for a little while. but I think that there are ways of dealing with it, and I think there are things that we can all do that make it um, easier for everyone. Uh, just being kind to people. It's, it's, um, it's been interesting to see how many people are, are very, very concerned and how just a word of kindness can help out. So I think probably let's all be as kind as we possibly can and concerned about our neighbours and our friends.
0: Excellent. Um, if you're okay, we just got one more quick question that came in. Is there consensus on whether or not people become immune if they have had COVID-19?
1: Yeah, um, that's a problem. We don't know uh, what the immunity will look like or how how long it will last. Um, and so there isn't a consensus that I know of so far. Of course, we're learning things. And I think the more we learn, the more we realize how much we don't really understand. Um, there's got to be some sort of immunity that's built up. But how quickly the virus may change and throw that immunity out, I'm not sure.
0: Okay. Thank you very much for joining us today and um, I'm going to end the live stream now.